Well, good morning, everyone. If you turn in your Bibles, as I mentioned before, we're resuming our study in the book of Hebrews. And it's been, for a variety of reasons, a couple of weeks since I have been there. But we are in Hebrews chapter 12. And as we have been continuing through the book of Hebrews, this finds us in a a section that's beginning to be very practical, and it will continue to be that way through the end of the book. Now, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be teaching. And, and this was one of those texts as I read it and I studied, and as I studied, I really was looking forward to teaching, although I don't know that I can fully do it justice. The reason I was looking forward to teaching is because I think this these texts are so applicable to us in this class. Now, what do I mean by that? Since every word in the Bible is written for every one of us. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction. So I don't mean to single this out. It's just as I think about the life experiences in this group, I think a text like what we have today can be very encouraging to us. I say that because in this small group of however many of us are in the room, there have been an astounding amount of trials over the last several years. I've been at Lakeside now. I'm in my eighth year. We moved here in June of 2007. I started work July, the first Sunday of July 2007. And it's amazing what I've seen people go through. I started thinking, and I tried to list some of them out, and I didn't want to list them out with complete specificity, but these are just some of the things I've seen in the Faith Builders class since I've been here. People here have dealt with the death of their spouses, the death of parents, the death of children. I've seen over and over again cancer, arthritis, organ failure, Broken body parts, some more significant than my little toe. I've seen heart issues, kidney issues, brain issues, skin issues, again, bone issues. We've had people in our midst through for extended periods of time couldn't find employment even though they really wanted to work and needed to work. Some who have faced daily struggles because where they work is not a conducive to a godly life and a godly environment. I know some have had incredibly challenging bosses as supervisors who aren't fair, who aren't sympathetic. Some have been unfairly fired from jobs. There are people in this, our midst, who have lost homes, lost the place where they were going to live. People whose homes have been damaged by various types of calamities. People who have struggled with unreasonable landlords and on and on and on the list goes. And that's just the Sunday school class. If you add in the weekly prayer list from Lakeside, it just gets more and more expansive over and over and over again. Week after week after week, the trials of life are on display in the body of Christ here at Lakeside. I don't know what the population of the world is. Seven billion. We only have a little over 500 in our Sunday services. Maybe 600 people total on the campus. And yet there's a lot of struggle and a lot of hurt in this small little corner of the world. Now I'm not trying to depress 
anyone. Our church isn't unique. It's not as though God has uniquely made Lakeside go through trials. I think this is the natural thing that happens when you live in a sin-filled world. And I realize at any given moment, some of us are doing better. Some have found jobs. Some have been healed. But some are hurting and some are doing worse. And because of all these trials that continually bombard us, I'm encouraged to come to a text like we have this morning. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 12, as already mentioned, and we're going to start looking at verse 12. And this morning, we're only going to cover two verses. We're going to cover verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to read them now, but I'm going to then provide a little context before we start explaining the verses. But Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 12, says this, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now this is a short admonition. It's a short statement in a broader context that is an imperative command. This is something that is requiring action. And in this context, remember, this is originally being written to people who were wondering, is Jesus enough for daily life? They had endured hardship, they had endured persecution. Some of them were ostracized and alienated from their community because they were Jewish and they had believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that was not an easy thing to do. And for some of them, they were wondering, hey, maybe we're on the wrong track. And the whole book is saying, no, this is the only track. Forget all the rituals of Judaism, this is the only hope. And even though their lives were hard, and they really were hard, all of chapter 11 is a catalog of men and women of faith who also endured hardships, but because they had faith, were able to endure. So he has taught all of this doctrine and instruction through the early half of the book, of course, exhortations and and commands intertwined. But at the end of the day, as he has made all of this Pinnacle case that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is sufficient to live the life that God desires you to live. He recognizes sometimes it's hard. Look up for just a moment to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Because he comes out of this statements of all of these people did it. They endured hardships. Some were killed. Some were stoned. Some were sawn in two. They endured all kinds of things. But they could make it because of faith. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, really, you could sum up the goal of Christianity is right there. People sometimes wonder, what is God's will for my life? Okay, just read that. That's God's will. Lay aside everything. Fix your eyes on Jesus, and as long as you have life and breath on this earth, live for him. And we are in a long race, as we covered back when we taught through those. It's the analogy of a sporting event. It was a big part of culture. It's a big part of our culture. But the idea is we are in a race that takes endurance. It takes time. 
And there will be ample opportunities as you're dealing with all these trials of life, the catalog of grief that I mentioned earlier that I've seen even in our class, there's always an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I'm done, I'm going to sit down. And the whole point of the, the text is, no, 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 don't, don't sit down. No, you've got to keep going. This isn't a race where you get to just stop. And Jesus wants us to exceed. Obviously, he wants us to put aside sin, even when it's hard to keep going. The whole point of chapter 11 with all these men and women of faith is to tell you, look, if you have that faith, if you have genuine faith, you can endure. You can keep going. And even mentions the role of God's discipline at times in creating what seems like difficulties. Verses 4 through 11 of chapter 12 were just his way of saying, look, when you're feeling the hand of God, when you're feeling God's discipline, don't, don't flinch from it, don't run away. It hurts, it can be difficult, but it's evidence that God loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to continue to grow. God disciplines those he loves. He's very honest. At times it can be painful. At times we're not saying thank you, God, for the discipline. But this book really deals with the reality of life. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes God's discipline can feel hard. It can hurt. And it's in this context of hurting Christians that these verses are written. Not every Christian is hurting and all the time, but what do you do? How do you keep going in the midst of these difficulties? And I think these verses speak to us not just as individuals, although they have individual applicability. They speak to us as the body of Christ. They give us an idea of what are our responsibilities to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the midst of things. And we're going to see that as we go through it. But I think what this text is causing us to do is foreshadowed by verses in chapter 10 that were telling us, don't stop coming to church, don't stop being with God's people. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and it's picking up in the middle of a thought. It says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Okay, the idea being we have a responsibility, we're going to be interacting with other Christians. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I think that's what our text is dealing with this morning is encouragement. Because sometimes things hurt and they're hard and we're weak. And we all don't walk around with a cape that says super Christian. It's a text of encouragement to people who are weary and tired and broken. Perhaps even wondering, you know what, I'm just so tired I need to stop running the race for a little while. I think this text this morning is teaching all of us about our responsibility to be encouragers to those around us. And so as we go through the text, my outline is not inspired, it's just my way from a teaching standpoint to help us think through the text. I think this text is talking about how to be an encourager. This responsibility to be an encourager. And so I've broken the text down into three simple steps to being an effective encourager. If you've ever had somebody come up to you or give you a card or say a kind word to you, you know how that can give you a little bit of a spring in your step, how it can feel so good. We can be instruments of blessing as God desires. And so let's begin to look at the text a little more closely and find out how we can be effective encouragers for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the first step is this. 
be aware of those who are hurting. Be aware of those who are hurting. Now, it's going to be interesting because points one and two come from the exact same verse. And so I'm going to emphasize something with point one, and then I'm going to emphasize something different than point two. So it's the same verse, but drawing out two applicational concepts from there. Verse 12 is very simple. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Therefore sets the stage. The reason I gave that little bit of context and background is because therefore is tying into directly to verses 4 to 11, talking about God's discipline. All of chapter 11 showed that even if you have genuine faith, you may suffer. You may endure great hardship. God in his sovereignty allows us to undergo these things, not because he's angry with us or mad at us, because he loves us and he wants to bring us to full maturity in Christ. Unfortunately, many of us don't learn instantly, so we require continuing education, which means the process of trials and difficulties might continue a little longer. They can play out over time, and all this is in view when we come to verse 12. Therefore, because of that fact of life that includes God's discipline, that that life can be hard and it can be difficult, it says, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Now, that's an imperative command, strengthen. That's telling us to do something, but again, that's going to be our second point. But even though it's our second point, I need to explain what's going on here because this terminology is a continuation of the sports analogy at the beginning of the chapter. If you recall, the sports analogy at the beginning of the chapter is running a race. I talked about it again, but if you went back to our teaching, I developed it even more. And it's a running race. And and all of the imagery of laying aside sin and entanglements is a runner trying to get in his best optimum shape to be able to run and complete the race. The prize is Jesus. That's the wreath, the garland, the crown, the trophy. It's Jesus. And so you're trying to be streamlined so that you can run effectively. But this is the description of some of believers in the church. It says, hands that are weak... And the knees that are feeble. If you think about running. Someone running and you see a sprinter. I mean they're very serious. Their arms are moving. Their legs are kicking and they're going. Even if it's a, even if it's a marathon. The arms are turning. If you've been a runner you understand. That helps your body keep going. Helps you keep on pace. And he's describing a picture here. The race is going on. All the Christians are on the race. And there are some people that can't lift their hands anymore. You know, forget being an effective runner. They barely can get their hands to move. And the knees that are weak, it's not talking about arthritis, although many in this room are afflicted with that horrible thing. It's talking about an athletic contest. Their legs are just too weary. They can't pick up one foot and put it down again. The hands are drooped. They're just hanging there. They're they're sort of useless. They're not helping them get to the finish line. And the knees are weak. They've run. The legs are just given out. It really is a picture of Christians who are exhausted. It's weariness. And what's interesting is this picture, which paints a reality that many of us can identify with. When you wonder, Lord, can I, I I don't know if I can take anything else. And yet something else comes. Lord, I can't go one more day and you wake up and there's more. 
And there's a command given here. And the command in the original language is plural. So when you see these terminologies, it's not a singular command. It's a plural command, meaning this is something to all the church. This strength and all are involved. Again, that's going to be the second point. Christians are supposed to strengthen the weary and exhausted. That I'm going to get there. But my first point is focused on the fact that we've got to be aware of those people that are slowing down. We've got to be aware of those who are hurting badly, who are weak. As Christians, we have got to pay attention to what is going on around us. We've got to care about other believers. We have to interact with them on a regular basis. If you don't know who's weak, how can you ever help? And this plays out on so many levels, I could spend a a whole day talking about ways this happens. But first and foremost, let me encourage you this. When you come to church, even when you're weary and weak, come with an eye on other people. Come with a concern for others. Church is not primarily about us and what we need and what we get from it. Church is about being a part of a family. It's the opportunity God gives us to come and to serve other people. That's why I went back and reread why we don't forsake gathering together. It's because we need encouragement. We're supposed to be helping each other. We're finding ways to prop up the weak ones and the slow ones. I really think there are times where one Christian gets on one side, one Christian gets on another, and you're picking people up and walking because they can't move. Galatians 6.2 commands us, bear one another's burdens. It can't be any more straightforward. All of these things are that way. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the second greatest commandment. So when we come to a text like this, uh, let me encourage you on a weekly basis, even when you're hurting, even when you're struggling, before you get here, be thinking and praying, God, show me the needs of others. Let me challenge you, and I am guilty of this, where I feel like I need the shot in the arm, I need the strength, I can't wait for the music to start, I need to be encouraged. No, try and have the mindset that says, Lord, who can I serve? Second, and despite what I just said about coming to church and focusing on others, you do need to be willing to be vulnerable and tell people when you're hurting. When we have our prayer time, we have our prayer time for a reason. We need to share what's going on. It's not a time we don't have time in the short window to share three hours of prayer requests, but we need to be honest with one another. Even though I said I want you to pray and I think it's a good idea to come and be looking at others, when you have the opportunity and someone asks, be honest with them and let them know you're hurting and you're struggling and you need help. I'm going to tell you, of all the things that I face, that's the hardest thing for me to do. I never want to say that I need help. I am too proud. I'm too independent. I don't want to be a burden on other people. It was hard for me last week to call John Schroeder. John has told me, you can call me at the last minute. Brother, I'm, I'm here for you. I will help you. It's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to ask Mike. Mike is a gifted teacher also because I'm too proud. I don't want help. 
if you struggle with that, you need to resist those temptations. Those aren't coming from God. We've got to be willing to be vulnerable. We've got to share. We've got to be honest. Let me also encourage you, if you don't know it, our church has a weekly prayer sheet. I would encourage you to get that every week. It's out in the overflow in the rack, and it's got needs. Some of the needs have been, there are things that I prayed for this week that have been in the prayer sheet since I came to Lakeside. They haven't stopped. It's been the exact same prayer request because there's a brother or sister that's laboring under a burden that the Lord hasn't taken away. But it's a great opportunity for us to at the very least look around and say, who's hurting? You'll find names from this class on the prayer sheet and you might not know. So let me encourage you. If you want to be an encourager, you've got to know who needs encouragement. So you need to be aware of those who are hurting. There's a second step to being an effective encourager. It's this, offer help to those in need. Offer help to those in need. And that really is the, the ultimate thrust of verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Assuming we are attentive, assuming that we see that there are hurting people in our midst, our goal is to bring relief to those who are struggling. Now, it's interesting because verse 12, as you study it, is really borrowing from an Old Testament text, Isaiah 35, 3 and 4. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. And in the context of Isaiah, Isaiah was writing to a faithful remnant in Israel who had seen countless hardship. The nation of Israel, the Old Testament, is really an astonishingly simple story. Go back to Deuteronomy. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you disobey, I'll curse you. Well, the Old Testament is an evidence of disobedience. There, but there were people who were a remnant in the midst of that. Chapter 11 lists a lot of them by name. But in Isaiah, they had dealt with wicked leaders, oppressive lives, terrible circumstances. The prophet was offering encouragement that at some point God was going to take care of things. God was going to make it all right. And in Isaiah 35, it says, Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. In the midst of all of this hardship, the prophet Isaiah was directing them to encourage others, to help others. To point them to Christ, which is exactly the message of Hebrews. That's why the writer of Hebrews took this text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and applied the concepts to the challenges these believers were facing centuries and centuries later. Our task is the same in principle as what's reflected there. We are to be agents of encouragement. We are to be agents of strengthening to those who are worn down in our midst. Again, borrowing our race analogy, bringing it back into there, it's reality. People slow down and they're hurt. I've run a couple of marathons. Steve has run many, many marathons, but I'm certain his experience would be the same and others in this class have run. During a marathon, you see people who are stopped. I mean, there's medical tents. Some people just, they're done. They break down. They, they can't keep going. And then you see people who are walking. 
I had to do that in a marathon. I got so overheated, I thought I was going to pass out, but I was too proud to stop, so I kept going, but I was walking. In the body of Christ, that's what we see. And our job is to make sure, as we're coming along, if you think at the end of the parade, there's always one last person walking sort of with a sign to make sure that the parade, this is the end. We as Christians are supposed to be linking arms to make sure nobody gets left behind. Now, how can we do that? There's countless ways. Some of it is just using biblical common sense of saying if somebody can't stand up, reach over and grab their arm and help them. We can pray for people, though. We can visit people in the hospital. We can call people on the phone just to check on them. We can ask people, what what can I do to help you? We can take meals to people. For some people, we, we can give them a few bucks out of our pocket because they just need to get somewhere. For some people... We can offer them a car ride. We can offer to take them to a doctor's appointment. For others, we have been through something. We can act as a resource. It was such a blessing when Debbie was going through breast cancer. Several women in this church that had been through breast cancer immediately made a beeline, just talked to her, what was going to come up, what to be expected. Men talked to me the same way. It was so helpful, so encouraging. The possibilities are endless. But understand it's not optional. This is a command. We're required to be doing this. For some people it's easy. They just seem to have the ability to always know the right thing to say. And for some of us it's not easy to approach people and offer help. But let me encourage you to step outside of your comfort zone. To reach out and try. And even if you encounter a prideful person like myself that says, No, 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 I don't need help. Pray for them anyway. Because if they're sometimes like me, they needed the help. They're just too proud to take it. I'm going to point out a final way to be an encourager. A third simple step. And I believe this comes from verse 13, but I'll I'll explain it a little bit to show what I mean. But it's this. Be an example in your personal walk. Be an example in your personal walk. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now this isn't necessarily the normal way we would phrase things in English and this is a challenge the English translators have of putting Greek into English. But I think we can understand the big picture of what's going on here even though in English it comes across a little bit unusual. First, he talks about making straight paths for your feet. And again, in this context, this is all plural. This is talking to a group. When it says you or it's not you possessive individual, it's all of us as a church family. It's a duty that we all have in the church. And when he says make straight paths, he's again borrowing from the Old Testament. In this context, he's borrowing from Proverbs chapter 4, Verses 26 and 27. Again, you don't have to turn there. You can write it down and read it later. Proverbs 4, verse 26 and 27 reads this way. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. I want to try and help bridge the gap here because the writer is not just quoting that text in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. He's applying it. He's taking that truth 
that would have been familiar to the Jewish Christians who would have understood the Old Testament, and he's showing them how it applies in their life in the context of these weak and beleaguered believers who were barely moving and in some cases perhaps had stopped. Now the proverb being quoted is talking about one's moral life. In other words, you follow God's law rather than sin. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there are more than one place where it talks about don't go to the right or to the left. The idea being God has given his law and it's straight. You don't go off this way from the law. You don't go off that way. You obey. You stay straight. You stay on the path. If you do, you're walking in wisdom and your life will reflect it. And remember, in this context, we're in the middle of a race analogy. And the writer is very concerned, he has already expressed that about sin messing up our race. Lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. But in this context, he's also talking about the race course itself. He knows that if you are weak and tired, and you're weary, the worst thing that could happen is you turn the corner and there's a hill in front of you. Again, I'm, I'm by no means a good runner. I have not run in a long time. I won't run for quite a while with my foot. But I do remember the first time I ran a marathon, it was in San Diego. And I was very encouraged because I was running very well. And it, I don't know, it was mile 22 or 23. So this is when it's cruel because you're really tired. And I turned a corner and there was a bridge like this. And I thought, okay, somebody is sadistic. <laughs> And you should have seen the people dropping like flies. Now, I was determined, and I was younger, and I was in better shape, and I was not going to stop. But you want to talk about people just hitting the skids. I mean, it was boom. There were people stopped. And there's some people walking. If you'd had a bulldozer, you'd have caught a lot of people just shoving them up the hill. And I think what the writer is doing here is he's telling us as believers, as much as is possible, help level out the path for others if you can help level things out it's one less hill for them to go over you can make the walk easier for other people now this may seem odd but I think this is the idea now how how do you do that well wait a minute how do I do that in part by living obediently by not letting yourself get entangled with sin If you're weighed down by your own sin, you're not helping other people. You're ensnared. In fact, unfortunately, depending on who you are, quite often your sin might lead other people astray. Because they say, well, if she can't overcome this, if he can't overcome this, I give up. I mean, if that happens to him, what, what hope do I have? They're stronger than I am. We should be trying to live obedient lives. None of us is perfect. We understand that. But you should be quick to repent. You should be quick to say, I'm sorry. You should be quick to make things right if you've offended other people. I think another way that we can help level out the path for others is by not flaunting our Christian liberty in front of weaker brothers and sisters. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, talked about if, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. It's the principle I'm trying to get at. 
If you know somebody's struggling, if you know somebody's weak, don't intentionally make it harder for them. Maybe there's a time for you to say, you know what, I'm going to refrain from something. I, I don't think it's sin for me to do it, but I, I could lead this other weaker brother or sister astray. It's the principle that we care more about helping others than we do about satisfying our own desires. I think another way is by pointing others to Christ by our own example. This all is on the same vein. Paul, again, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. That should be our goal. Even when we're imperfect, we should be trying to encourage people. If you're going through a trial, I pray that you could be successful, and I pray that you could tell other people, this is how I'm enduring it. Wow, you're going through cancer. How, how, do you, how are you doing that? You know what? I'm following Christ. The ultimate goal of all of this is to heal other brothers and sisters by God's grace to be an instrument of healing. The phraseology at the end of this verse, the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's in, inarticulate, but it really is talking about you already have a, a weak arm, but if you already are weak and then somebody snaps it and suddenly it's out of socket, it's even worse. And what it's saying is if we're not careful, our lives can take a hurt Christian and hurt them worse. And we're supposed to be instruments of God to help in the healing process, not hurt weak people more. If we're careless and thoughtless, if we're self-absorbed, we won't notice other people and we won't pay attention to what our actions are doing to others. And we may live in such a way that we cause people to give up. Rather than encouraging them to, hey, I'm with you, we can keep going. Whether we think of ourselves as prominent or insignificant, your life is an example to others in some way. You know, all of this is why a couple of weeks ago I was saying that I would love there to be more one-on-one discipleship in our class. Stronger Christians coming alongside weaker Christians. Two Christians who are struggling coming alongside to encourage one another and point each other to Christ. That's why even though I love to teach and I could teach for an hour, we set aside time for prayer so that we can be aware of what's going on with each other. Just pray that you would reflect on these things and, and examine and analyze what God may enable you to do to be an encouragement to the hurting and weak brothers and sisters in our class. And let me say this, even if you're one of the hurting and weak seems like God always has somebody who's worse. You know, they're the marathon runners, and then some of you might feel like I'm barely moving, but there's always one more person you can reach out and hold their hand. Please join me as I close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. Lord, sometimes our pride causes us to want to pretend like everything's okay, and it's not okay. I thank you, Lord, that your word never treats us that way. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It acknowledges that some of us are really tired. We can't pick up our hands. We can't walk anymore. We are weary. 
Lord, I thank you that in those times you've given us the body of Christ. Satan wants to divide us. Satan wants people to be isolated because then he can afflict and torment them. But you want us, Lord, to act as a family. I pray that you would help us have eyes to see the needs around us. Lord, I am thankful because I know so many people in this class are already doing everything that was talked about. Lord, I thank you that I've been the recipient of this encouragement and my family's been the recipient of it. And Lord, those who are already doing these things, I pray that you would help them in the biblical terms to excel still more, to do even more. But Lord, there are some that have been too preoccupied with themselves. Lord, I just pray that you would open all of our eyes today. Lord, help us see others as you see them and help us be your instruments to bring about healing so that all of us can press on towards the goal, which is Christ. We pray all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.